1: Hello and welcome to Daisy is Insatiable. I'm Daisy Buchanan, the author of Insatiable, a love story for greedy girls. And together we are going to be exploring love, lust, life, appetite, identity and everything that makes sex and love so thrilling, fascinating and bewildering. My guest for this episode is the TV presenter, screenwriter and stand-up and novelist Andy Osho. We're celebrating the success of Andy's brilliant first novel, Asking for a Friend, the story of Megan, Simi and Jemima, single women in their 20s, 30s and 40s, searching for love together. Andy and I talked about the complex emotions that need to be navigated during dating, how vulnerable we allow ourselves to be, and why there is so much romance, love and joy to be found in friendship. There's more brilliant advice than you can uh, shake a stick at All will be revealed. Let's talk about sex and love and dating and romance and why it's all so hilarious. <laughs> you tell me, why is it so hilarious? Because we,
2: it's just, it's such a big part of our lives, but it just goes wrong so many times. But we we find a way to laugh at it, which is brilliant.
1: And I wonder if maybe now more than ever, because there are so many different ways to date, and you know, whether we sort of choose to do it or not. Um, You know, what I loved about your book is this idea of, you know, getting off the screen. And it's very much about you know, real connections, which I think that's something that we're going to be seeing a lot more of. I hope it is.
2: God, I hope so. Yeah. I mean, what I've always felt, or not always, but like, you know, I tried internet dating. I really gave it an earnest, good go. But I I want to I just want to look into somebody's eyes. I want to see them face to face. I want to I want to feel a connection with them before we've decided that we're going to try and have a connection, which is basically what happens if you meet somebody through so um, you know through uh, online dating. So that's why in asking for a friend, I just put the girls like going out meet guys in real life because that's old school and brilliant.
1: And I wonder whether no matter where a person is in their like romantic life, but just in general, it's almost like. The handbook that we are going to need to navigate the next few months and years, because we haven't been able to have those connections either in a dating sense or just you know with the even the people close to us. So this is going to be how we work out how to be in the world again.
2: Yeah, we're going to be like um newborn uh, foals or whatever, like stumbling around <laughs> trying to learn how to date again
1: and like talk to people
2: in real life, like over dinner and stuff.
1: My novel Insatiable is about, it's a very unconventional love story and it kind of begins after the happy ending. Do you think that we have more of an appetite for sort of unconventional love stories and and romances and things that surprise us? Yeah,
2: I definitely. Because I think um, we're starting to break away from all the... Uh, more conservative ways of being that we've been indoctrinated in. And you see it in all, you know, so many different areas of life, people believing in themselves to be able to do things that previously people like that, whatever, you know, whatever definition they might give themselves, you know, they wouldn't have thought that they could do. So yeah. Unconventional because it's authentic. That's probably more what it is. Cause previously, if you were in an unconventional relationship, whatever it might look like, you had to keep it on the down low, you know? And so now, I think as we're being more uh, free and open with who we are, those unconventional relationships can come out more to the fore and people who are in them want to see that stuff reflected in what they're reading and what they're watching on TV and seeing in films. So yeah, definitely an appetite for it. I love that stuff. So yeah, I'm hoping there's, there's more, there's more of me, more weirdos like me who just want to <laughs> see something different, you know?
1: Something, another thing I really loved about asking for a friend that's kind of evident in insatiable too. And I think this is part of this sort of appetite for the unconventional romances. I think we see so many romances in other parts of our lives. And in both of these, I think, you know, friendship has just as much emotional and spiritual resonance as very conventional romantic love. I'd love to hear if you can share about your experiences of that and sort of the people that you've been single at the same time with and how you have bonded and been on that journey together?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think what um, my experiences is reflected in the girls' experiences in my book, is that we've all been, we may have all been single at the same time, but our attitude was, you know, miles apart. So in asking for a friend, for example, Jemima, who's the oldest, she's kind of like, nope, shut down about all that sort of stuff. It's not of interest to her, even though she's single. Um, whereas Simi is desperate for love and Megan has got a plan. So she's just like, yes, but not now because, <laughs> you know, I'm working to a schedule here, guys. Um, and so it's kind of even though girlfriends may all be single at the same time, we may not all have often. We don't have the same attitude towards relationships. So we're coming at it from from different angles. And actually, you know, in, in my book, what the girls get from it is is, is different because of where they're coming from. But in, in, and so in life, yeah, that's how it was for me, for sure. Like, you know, <laughs> I've been the simmy in relationships with my girlfriends going, I just want to be with somebody, but I've also been the Megan as well. Definitely like I'm not now. And I spent a long time being the Jemima just, not at all (laughs) so yeah so definitely definitely um putting personal experience into the book for sure
1: I was thinking that about it's almost like the say the ages of women that you know I know not you wouldn't necessarily be going through that at that point but you know as much as they're all sort of the people we recognize they're parts of ourselves that we recognize too And I do think that there's something really intriguing, especially at the moment, about we want our friends to be happy and we care about them. But also, I think we want them to be happy in a way that we understand. I think it takes a lot of growth and thinking to see what someone else is doing and think, good for her, not for me. And Mm. I think certainly that's what Violet does in Insatiable. I think she is so anxious about the judgment that comes from others, that she really sort of willfully isolates herself in order to go on the journey she goes. And the irony is that she's constantly worried about kind of being judged within the group, even though they're supposed to be very sort of wild and bohemian and liberal. There are actually all sorts of very conventional rules that are sort of held back from her. I mean, do you think there's anything that we can do to sort of liberate ourselves from our fear of judgment or do you think it just takes time and age and wisdom and practice
2: oh yeah I mean I think all of those things basically because um oh gosh who was I talking to the other day or listening to but they were saying how um they were talking about how we're, we're oh it's Brene Brown and she was saying how we're never not gonna care about what other people think and as, as she was saying it also I realized oh you know even people who say oh, I don't care what people think they're saying it because they want you to think that they're the sort of person that doesn't care what people think so they're also caring about what people think but um it's she said it was a case of picking the people in your life who you need to care whose opinions you need to care about and distinguishing between those and the ones that don't really matter so guy on the internet that has some opinion about something that's not his business to have an opinion about, maybe don't care so much about what he thinks, but you know, people who are closest to you um, care, you, you know, it, it, the invitation I guess is to care more for, for what they say. But even then I suppose you've got to use discernment and go, is that person speaking from my best interest at heart or is is what they're saying based on their own judgments mm. kind of thing so even then we still have to sort of use our own discernment but I don't think there's a person on the planet who doesn't care what other people think and I think that that's with us all through life but maybe as you get a little bit older it just takes so much energy to care <laughs> that much <laughs> about what people think cool. so you just like busy. let you fall by the wayside
1: it's really comforting to hear you say it's okay and to hear that Brene Brown says it's okay. Um, yeah, 100%. And I th- I remember that vaguely, that, you know, if you're like, no, I don't care, I don't care, you're screaming, you're like, you're, it's, you can almost imagine, you know, a toddler doing it and sort of throwing themselves to the floor. And I think there's maybe something there as well, when it comes back to love, I think we really want to be seen, don't we? when we have that initial sort of attraction to someone and that excitement. And I think so much of flirting and more and being in that early stages when, you know, someone gets us and someone sees better things in us than we see in ourselves. And I think that can be quite confusing. (laughs) <laughs> um, because when I've definitely been in those relationships where it starts like that, I'm like, oh, wow, I thought I was this, but they think I'm this. And then as soon as something cools or turns or shifts, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm lost again. Gosh,
2: it's so weird, isn't it? That dynamic when you first start seeing somebody. And it took me quite a few years before I noticed that in somebody else's gaze, I could turn into somebody else that I didn't recognise and and to trust that if that if I sense that starting to happen that means they're not the one for me because if I've if I you know without even being really aware of it start to morph into somebody that I don't recognize what happens when the the act wears off kind of thing how am I going to feel about it how are they going to feel about who they're with because it's like who's this you know that wasn't the person that I was you know taking out to dinner or you know going partying with or whatever so so um yeah the 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 energetic sort of um, push and pull at the start of a relationship is a really interesting one. And because we're all heady on chemicals, we sort of ignore sometimes, I think, what's going on. But I'm so after many years, I'm starting to sort of pay attention to those things because, you know, been down too many roads where it hasn't worked out and just thought, ah, actually, I knew what was going going on right from the beginning. I just ignored it. You know, what I mean, because I was too busy being in love and all that sort of stuff.
1: I'd love to dig a little deeper into that. Something I'm very curious about is, you know, you're a performer and mm. I don't know, I imagine that when you're you're performing stand up or when you're on stage, that's you but also it's it's a version of you and it's a version that you feel happy and comfortable to show. And I think there is an element of performance in those early stages of relationships as well. And I was wondering if you felt there was a link there and also how you became mindful of the fact that you were doing it during dating well I think the distinction maybe
2: between doing it on stage and in life is that it's a conscious decision you know like you know Beyonce has Sasha Fierce and I don't know she still uses that kind of you know um alter ego but she that that was one that we sort of recognise as her you know big hair flowing and wind machine and stuff that was that person, and Aquafina even like mm. she said that you know her name's nora i can 't remember her last name, but Aquafina can do things that Nora can't, and so when you go on stage, you're electing to put that you know that jacket that that armor or whatever that outer, outer casing on, but in life, I think the difference is it just sneaks up on us because you know you, you know it's like when you see a girlfriend with the new partner and she's suddenly sort of this sort of giggling <laughs> sort of simpering person that you just don't recognize as uh you know because it's like you, you're not normally like that why are you being all like that because what well, because he's here so we don't realize that we're doing it and for me it was just i it wasn't an instant sort of moment of recognition it was this growing awareness that there was this space opening up between my interior and exterior experience in the sense of what was going on in my mind wasn't was, didn't correlate with how I was speaking and how I was acting, so I realised slowly and with a lot of mistakes that ideally I would like to have no gap between my interior and exterior world. I want to be with somebody where I don't feel like I'm thinking and thinking and thinking or trying to second guess him or think about how I should be and what he will like and not like and all that sort of stuff. I just want someone that I can just completely be myself with as I would if I were on my own. Because I'm very comfortable on my own, so I want. It, I don't want to feel less comfortable <laughs> when I'm with somebody else. That's terrible. Like I might as well stay, you know, stay in my soli- solitude because I'm comfortable there. So that's kind of it. Was it was more of a growing realize realization for me rather than a sudden like, oh, hang on a minute.
0: Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? When it comes to
1: you writing about love and dating and romance and all of that entails, did it come quite easily and naturally or did you ever feel... Because it's such an intimate thing to do, I think, to put all of those emotions and all of that vulnerability on the page. Were you kind of just sort of immersed in the characters throughout or did you ever kind of step back and think, gosh, this is quite revealing what I've written here?
2: Yeah, gosh, that's an interesting question. No, I I never did because I guess I was thinking... Partly, what I'm writing, what I'm putting these girls through, I'm, I also want to use as a way to say some things that I would like to say about relationships. The only time that I ever felt the need to pull back was where there was sort of unresolved issues I might have had with somebody and I've used the story and it felt bitter. It felt like me, Andy, was being bitter rather than maybe the character or whatever. And the really interesting thing is that naturally those stories got pushed out of the book, oh, yeah. you know, through editing. So mm-hmm. yeah, it was really, it was really interesting to see, to see that happen. And then where, you know, stuff might have been inspired by, you know, exes and things that have happened in the past. i made sure, so the details were so different that like only, even if they were, they'd have to be really cynical to know that that was, that was them because it's a mishmash of lots of things that have happened. But a lot of the stuff in the book is based on things that have happened to me. And, I hope, I think for the most part I've sort of made my peace with those things that have happened. And for me, the most um, significant way of doing that has been seeing my role in it because it's really easy in relationships to do that. he said this, and then he did this and he, 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 it's all his fault or the other person's fault, you know? And um, I, you know, I was talking to someone about this earlier saying that I really got present to the fact that the consistent factor in a lot of, my failed relationships was me <laughs> so so i'm obviously you know i'm obviously playing some sort of role in the, in the midst of all of this and as time's gone on and you know working on yourself with self help books and courses and all kinds of workshops and things you know i've started to see okay all right well i see where who i was being could have could have caused that situation <laughs>
1: So I suppose it's like um, a simulator, isn't it? You know, we've got our emotional truths and we take those in and we put them in and we it's running it through different sets of circumstances in a novel and be like, oh, so I know, I know what I would do in that situation. I know what I have done in a similar situation. And now yeah. by being a little bit removed from it and seeing it, I can see maybe it wasn't all the other person's fault.
2: That's really brilliant. I love that idea, the, the you know, the simulator idea, because It kind of is. Yeah, it kind of is like that. But also the other thing as well is that um, there have been, you know, because I've given some of the characters um, issues or backstories that, you know, similar to my own in writing about them or writing them through that situation, I've learned about myself, which has just been a real eye opener, particularly um, one of the characters, her dad, uh, her dad's absent from the family from when she's very young. And so, you know, just writing that in as a backstory and then just getting all these insights and because she's having these insights and I'm just like, oh my gosh, oh, I didn't even think about that, about how I relate to my dad or the, the space that he previously occupied and stuff. So yeah, it's been a really interesting process on that front as well.
1: I was wondering from your your dating life, do you have a favourite dating story to tell? And I was also wondering whether that's a story that sort of changed over time if there are you've noticed certain details kind of evolving and becoming more or less elaborate in the telling
2: weirdly I haven't had a lot of like crazy dates although I do remember um one guy uh brought me a stick as a present (laughs) and he wrapped it and everything oh wow um to a date yeah so what had happened is we we were um you know messaging back and forth quite a lot and then we arranged to meet. So, so, and, and, and he was in the army. So he sent me through this picture of him um, in his, you know, fatigues or whatever you call them. And he just looked hot. Like I was just like, okay, this is on, Do you know <laughs> what I mean? And then, and then we met and he was just, and I hate to say this cause it's such a cliche, but he was like a lot shorter than I imagined. And he kind of looked a bit more daddish than he did in the picture maybe the picture was a little old and um we'd been you know bantering and talking beforehand we'd been talking about Redwood Forest and how I'd really enjoyed it there and I don't know where he'd got this stick from but he had a stick from the Redwood Forest and had wrapped it <laughs> and I was sort of, it probably seemed like a good idea you know when he was at home in the barracks or whatever but yeah so I sort of opened this present and I was just like a, a, a stick <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, well thanks
2: <laughs> um he knew by the end we weren't going to see each other again he just knew oh I think he said as much
1: <laughs> it's such a sh- it's so sweet but also the trouble is had it gone well you know your birthday in a few months you would be like oh what's it gonna be oh it's another <laughs> stick <laughs>
2: Another city.
1: Oh, oh, it's a tree. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I can plant this. I did hear right at the beginning of the pandemic that a friend of a friend went on a date and um someone had brought them the gift of loo roll, which I thought was quite sweet. <laughs> that's that's actually brilliant because
2: who could get their hands on that? Right, so practical, mm-hmm. considerate, something um,
1: everyone needs.
2: Yeah, I mean, I gosh, I mean, it depends because if yeah. he was hot then that would be like hilarious but if she wasn't into him then it's just like okay um i um was working with someone recently and he's just like got this hilarious sort of dating history and he said that his one of his rules is that he only gives he gives himself 30 seconds to kind of walk out on the date and after that, he'll stay for the whole evening. And he was just regaling us with the time that he did walk out. So he literally, it was almost like a day, it sounded like a David Brent moment of just like, was sat waiting for this woman, really nicely dressed up, suit, all the rest of it. The woman walks in, he's just like, nah. And he just went back to his car. And then apparently she followed him out and she was kind of banging on his window. Oh, like, God. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, she's not letting this slide. No. So um, yeah, I don't know if people want to take on that that um, rule of like giving yourself a thirty second window to um, evacuate. But I really like I that. I do, but it's so brazen. Like I don't think I could. I'd have the balls to do it. Um, I wish I did, but I, I yeah, I think I'd just see it through. It's only a night, so or you, a
1: couple of hours even. Do you know if you fancy someone or not straight away, or can it sometimes be? Slow burn.
2: Oh gosh. See, that's the problem. I make decisions way too early. And so that's why I find it really difficult looking at pictures because he might be good looking, but he might not, you know, be an interesting person for me to talk to, he might not connect or anything. So I make those decisions way too early. And often the people that I've gotten attracted to and gone out with, it's happened over time. So I. Basically, I'm saying I can't trust myself (laughs) to actually know what's best for me. There was one person that I went out with and I was kind of, I remember thinking him, like we were at a friend's book launch, I think it was, and just saw him across the thing. And it was just like, yeah, I want to talk to that person. And we ended up somehow, um, you know, getting into a conversation later in, in the evening, and then we had little kiss later on and stuff. So that that was that was a one one time that I'm really, like that was a, that was a good one. Mm. But um, yeah, other than that, I just I need to get to know somebody because I just I'm, t- I'm my my brain is too superficial.
1: Well, I think that it's tricky, isn't it? Because I feel as though absolutely no one is allowed to say that appearances matter I mean I I think that people are I think that the breadth of fancying is just you know there is so much I truly truly believe that it's much more kind of nuanced than if I heard a guy saying like yeah I want to like a woman big tips I'd be like oh that's a bit you can't go around saying that that's terrible Mm. but I do think there is definitely something in you know a face or Eyes or a smile or something that mm. sort of clues us in in that first thirty seconds, but also I think maybe when it's lasting, it is a slow burn um and I can't give too much away if um people haven't read insatiable, but there's definitely a bit of that and i I do think that certainly in books that makes it much more fun, but maybe it's more fun in life as well. I think maybe lots of women in dating, and I think you know this is in in your book a bit that sort of like if you're not sure like no 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 be open-minded the problem is you're too fussy you must try everyone Like am not not sure that's always the best advice
2: yeah I'm not gonna yeah I'm not gonna try a bit of everything but um yeah I just I, I I think the other thing as well is that ultimately regardless of the list that we might have for ourselves this checkbox of things that we want in a, in, in you know what we think we're going to find attractive I have I strongly believe that it's really comes down to how that person makes you feel. And often that person that makes you feel really good to be around, they, they don't tick all those boxes necessarily, but they tick so many other ones because they're ones that you haven't even thought of. And they're ones that maybe your more strategic superficial brain is thinking of, Oh, like he's got to be tall. He's got to have a car. He's got to have this, he's got to have that or whatever. But how's about like, you know, he's just got really generous spirit or he's got a lovely laugh and things like that. You wouldn't put that on a a tick box because you don't think of it as important. But then suddenly when you encounter someone that's got all those lovely traits, you just, you just like glow inside. So I think there's an internal navigating system that we probably ignore. Well, we don't ignore it. What we do is we call it um, a guilty pleasure or or a crush or something or a guilty crush. Because I think that guilty crush or whatever is really our internal navigating saying that's actually what you really want. But you've got all these ideas about what you should be with and so you might not give that a chance.
1: I mean, I don't know about you, but I really notice as I get older with friends and their partners, all I care about is how they make my friends feel, whether they're happy, whether they're treating them right. That's the only time I'd ever sort of be a bit, but all I don't know if they should be with them is because I'd be anxious about them being nice to them. And quite often it's when someone is a bit cool and a bit you know they've got all the external trappings of being someone quite desirable but i'm like oh but are they nice to them
2: you know our friends are just such such an important factor in our relationships like they're they're sometimes the context in which a good relationship can happen and and, it, and you know i was at a wedding one time and they were you know doing the whole bit with witnesses and all the rest of it and i suddenly got what that meant because sometimes with weddings the whole Fruitfulness of it. You can forget what the sort of intent behind it all is. And I realise, you know, that all these witnesses are there to support that couple in, in honouring the commitment they've made to each other. They're witnessing the commitment and helping them maintain it through thick and thin through things going, you know, a bit Pete Tong and like, you know, arguments and fallouts and misunderstandings and all the rest of it, the, the witnesses are there as the context or the holding the, the holding space for, for this couple. And um, and I think that's what I wanted with these the the girlfriends in my book is that they're the context in which these relationships can happen because mm-hmm. I, I don't think Simi's relationships are even important to her unless if she hasn't got her girlfriends at her flank you know so um, yeah that's I I I I, I realised having read it now a couple of times myself again after, you know, it has been a while of like how important the friendship aspect is in, in my book. And I think maybe with yours too, right. That it, it's, it's not just about the relationships. It's about the people that are around us as well.
1: It's like princess Diana. There's 142 people in this marriage.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> kind of. It's true. It's true. <laughs> but they're your friends rather than
2: his. Yeah. Um, yes. No, not not, not in, this, in our case. <laughs> yeah.
1: oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much for listening. I was especially struck by Andy's revelations about the way it takes us so long to get to know ourselves and the challenges of not losing ourselves and losing our hearts at the same time. And while I do love all romantic comedies a lot... Asking for a Friend really is extra special. It's written with real tenderness and freshness. If you've not read it yet, I think you'll adore it. And you must check out Andy's excellent podcast, Creative Source, available on iTunes, Acast and Spotify. Thank you so much for listening. The podcast is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast with special thanks to Sphere. My novel, Insatiable, A Love Story for Greedy Girls, is published by Sphere and out now. It's available in hardback from all online bookshops, as well as Amazon, where you can find the e-book and the audio book read so brilliantly by Charlie Clive. I leave you with this from Eve Babitz. Women want to be loved like roses. They spend hours perfecting their eyebrows and toes and inventing irresistible curls that fall by accident down the back of their neck from otherwise austere hairdos. They want their lover to remember the way they held a glass. They want to haunt. Join me next time for more Source, Sex and Secrets on Daisy is Insatiable.